Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Jack. Sports Jack. It's Sports Jack. Welcome to episode 339 of the Sports Yak Podcast. You mean the Boog Powell episode. Man, I just love the name, the nickname Boog. I love it. And of course, Cub fans now familiar with Boog Shambi, but the reason Boog Shambi is called Boog is his facial resemblance to Boog Powell. Boog Powell was a first baseman for the Baltimore Orioles, primarily during his career, who hit 339 homers during his big league career and you might say well why did they call him boog well as he described it in the south they call little kids who are often getting into mischief boogers and my dad (laughs) shortened it to boog big burly guy was a Great power hitter for the Orioles teams during their glory years in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, he was. He also became famous uh, late in his playing career, and after his playing career, he was in these Miller Lite commercials. Okay. And he was probably in about 10 of them, and one of them was with an umpire and talking about mocking bad calls and things like that. So, um Kind of one of the great names. He's still very popular in Baltimore. They've got a Boog's Barbecue that sells barbecue sandwiches, uh, pit beef, and ribs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And he is frequently there, just kind of being an ambassador for the Orioles. Hmm. It's interesting uh, in the world of nicknames that you nickname someone after what you look like. Like, you know, people always tell me I have a lot of... Um, uh, shared similarities with a Jack Black mm. or a Chris Farley, but no one calls me JB or Farley or yeah. fat guy in little coat. Oh, wait, I call myself that. Yeah, I see how that works. <laughs> but salute to Boog Powell, Boog Powell. episode 339. This for Boog's for you. Family Broadcasting Corporation. In association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network, presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. It's all the way! It is! Go! It's good! It's good! Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever! All right, how much work goes into the high school football schedule? You've been you've been on point this week, working the knobs and the levers. We we try to put quite a bit into it. You know, you try to put together. I look at it almost like a jigsaw puzzle, Corey, in the fact that you're moving pieces around. You're trying to get the right fit, the right games. You know, week one, gosh, you could start with just about anything. People are so starved for football by that point. But you want to try to work a schedule where even if, 
and we left I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag here we left the last three weeks of the regular season as to be announced and the reason we did that is sometimes you don't realize the team is going to be good and you want to get them on you want to be flexible enough to put on games that might decide a conference championship or something like that or the team you thought that would be good is zero and five right and so it's that like, happens sometimes too time to pivot so we tried to give ourselves some flexibility but when we started piecing things together i think what we've done is come together with a schedule here that allows us to show 12 different teams in the first six weeks of the season so you're not going to see any repeat teams in the first six weeks and in order to do that you kind of have to figure out okay well you know there are some teams that play very challenging schedules early in the season. You could pick any of their first six games and say, oh, that'd be a good one. So you, then you look for rivalries, or at least I do, and try to put those on. And I think that's the theme that will really come across in the schedule as we talk about it is rivalries. And we'll start off with one on August 20th, first game of the season, Mishawaka at Marion. Big old Princess City rivalry. Mishawaka has a returning quarterback in Justin Fisher, who is probably the premier quarterback in the area. He's not necessarily known for his arm. He's known for his running ability. Big strapping kid, 6'2", 215 pounds. We've seen him hurdle defenders before. Terrific player. The question for Keith Kinder and Mishawaka will be on the line of scrimmage. They lost a lot of people on the offensive line and defensive line from last year can they replace those because they've got some good skill people with Milan Burris and and Justin Fisher they'll be just fine in terms of their skill personnel the question will be in the trenches Marion has a little bit of the same problem they've got to replace their quarterback Bryce Lesane will probably take over for Maddox Begonia they've got some electric electric people like Greg Atkinson who are Fast to the football. Uh, Murphy is back at running back. Setafano Sete at linebacker. They've got some pieces. Can they find the folks in the trenches? So that should be a really interesting opener. And, of course, Marion went all the way to the semi-state last year, lost to a very good Bishop Chittard team out of Indianapolis. Mishawaka won its sectional. They got to the regional last year. So a pair of teams that are tournament-tested, good young coaches, and Keith Kinder at Mishawaka – Michael Davidson at Marion. That should be a fun opener August 20th. August 20th. Yeah. Four weeks from today. Okay. August 27th, the battle for the Cable Line Cup. Concord and Jimtown have played 60 times previously. They are all knotted up at 30-30. So this is a big rivalry over in Elkhart County. Should be a great crowd on hand. Jimtown has a player named John Tu Reed, who is a sensational electrifying back concord i think will be a very explosive team this year they return hunter dutton at quarterback they've got jack drc and amari and moore at the receiver spots they've got the Coltukian brothers on defense should be a fun game to watch jimtown and concord over at jake field in dunlap on august 27th week three of the season the oldest and longest continuous rivalry in northern indiana is the one between warsaw and plymouth 
This year they play down at Warsaw, Corey, and they play for the 102nd time. Hmm. So you've got a couple of veteran coaches, John Barron at Plymouth, Bart Curtis at Warsaw. Early in the Northern Lake, in fact, the Northern Lakes Conference opener, that should be pretty exciting down in Lake City. Looking forward to seeing how that one comes together. Week four, we get another rivalry game. 77th meeting between these two schools, but we've never shown this rivalry on TV 46. What? North Judson at Knox, the only two schools in Stark County that play football. Remember, Russ Rabke, who is the head coach at Knox, for a long time was the head coach at North Judson. North Judson has dominated Knox in this rivalry, except for the fact that Knox has won the last five in a row. So those kids wearing blue and gold down there at North Judson St. Pierre have never beaten Knox, and they would love to change that at Community Field on September 10th. So that should be fun. That I am told by many down there that the atmosphere around that game is equal to a St. Joe Marion. It's equal to any of the other great rivalries we have around here. Looking forward to that. That is week four? That is week four. Week five, the two biggest schools in the area go head-to-head. Elkhart at Penn. Last year at Rice Field, Elkhart got the victory the first time an Elkhart school has beaten Penn since 1985. If you don't think the Kingsmen are hungry for the rematch, you are gravely mistaken. Remember, Penn lost that game on a missed two-point conversion. Elkhart won it 20-19. to Josh Shattuck has a ton of people to replace from last year's team, and he just lost his top running back, Javen Sharp, to a broken leg. So what are the Lions going to have? They've got maybe the top receiver in the area in Donovan Johnson. Who's going to get the ball to him? How are they going to run the football? How do they rebuild that team? And then Penn's got a young man named Alec Hardrick who finished second in the sectional last year in the 100 meters, but they have to find a new quarterback. Ron Paulus III has gone on to the University of Notre Dame. What's Corey Yeoman going to have to bring out on the field for week five of the season? And then week six is the last one that we set a game for, and that'll be to see who the king of the north is in Elkhart County because you've got Northwood at Northridge. The Wood bringing out Caden Lone at quarterback this year. Nate Andrews always has a, a, a fun team to watch. They're very creative offensively, have to do a lot of things defensively to combat a, a Northridge team that has brand-new coach, Chad Epley. What will the Raiders bring to the table? What will they look like by week six? Should be interesting. That's a great Elkhart County rivalry. And we'll have that in week six. Can I put my eyes on this schedule anywhere? Yes, it is now uh, posted on both 46 Sports on Twitter and on Facebook. If you go to our Facebook page, actually that's our cover photo now on Facebook is our schedule. So you don't even have to go scrolling through posts. It's right there. Okay. Great job. Good luck. Thank you. Looking forward to all of that. Uh, so how likely are these two teams uh, making their way into the SEC, Oklahoma and Texas? Well, it, it's kind of a fascinating story to watch unfold. Apparently, the Big 12, which is the conference that both Oklahoma and Texas are in right now, had a meeting last night without them trying to discuss, okay, what do we do? 
and and what do we do if they leave and why do you think they're leaving? I they clearly want Oklahoma and Texas to stay. They're not just going to sit there and say uh goodbye, you know, don't let the door hit you. They want those two schools to stay in for obvious reasons because they are the two most noteworthy schools in the Big 12 Conference. If they leave the Big 12 Conference, mm-hmm. first of all, there will only be eight teams left in the Big 12. The Big 12 is poorly named, just like every other big conference right now. Uh, but there would only be eight teams left. And when you look at the eight teams, there's not really a marquee school for football in that league. Um, the Big 12 is currently comprised of Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, and West Virginia. Take Oklahoma and Texas out of there. That's not really a very appealing <laughs> no, it's television not. league. No. So there's a lot of concern in the Big 12. They want those teams to stay. But you can certainly understand why Oklahoma and Texas say, why should we prop up this league? We can go to the SEC and play in a very highly competitive league. We have something to bring to the table. Obviously, the University of Texas and Oklahoma University are two highly regarded athletic programs, not only in football, but in a number of sports. And so can you imagine the appeal of watching an Alabama-Oklahoma game or a Texas-Florida game, things like that. And that would be you know, par for the course in the Southeastern Conference if those two schools were able to join. Now, the SEC will become a very unwieldy league. 16 teams in the SEC if these two schools join. And I would think that the SEC would vote to accept them. Now, the one school that's really honked off about the possibility of Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC is Texas A&M. And the reason Texas A&M and Missouri left the Big 12 to join the SEC was Texas A&M wanted something more of an identity for itself by separating itself from the University of Texas. Well, if Texas comes over to the SEC, what makes Texas A&M any different from Texas now? <laughs> right, right. So they're not happy about it, but I don't know if they can get enough voters within the SEC to say, uh, we, yeah, why, why would we want Texas and Oklahoma? Of course they want Texas and Oklahoma. Texas is the state school of Texas. I, I rattled off three other Texas institutions who are in the Big 12. None of them have the cachet of Texas. Nobody cares about watching Texas Tech. Nobody cares about watching TCU. And nobody cares about watching Baylor. <laughs> in your opinion, yes. how many teams should be in a um, class? How many in, a, in, in a conference? In a conference. How many teams? A healthy number. Your thoughts? I don't think you should have any more than 12. No more than 12. That, that, that would be my opinion. But see, here's the problem, too, is a lot of these conferences now have people that just don't... Like the Big Ten, Maryland has no business being in the Big Ten. It's just not a fit. 
Penn State, I know it's been part of the Big Ten for a while. And yes, tradition-wise, Penn State has a tradition very similar to a lot of Big Ten schools. But I would like to go back to the days when geography had something to do with conferences. Follow-up question for you. When should a conference examine who's in the conference and go, hey, is it time? Oh, I think always. Every year. I think always you you could do some sort of evaluation. You know, my oldest son is a big fan of European football, soccer, as it were, and the Premier League. And the Premier League, in fact, those of you who watched Ted Lasso Season 2 beginning today, know that the Premier League has a thing called relegation where if you don't play to a certain standard over a period of time, you're no longer in the Premier League. And I don't see where that would be such a bet. You know, poor Clark Lee is going to Vanderbilt in the SEC. And Vanderbilt has not been competitive in SEC football forever. Hmm. You know, why Why should they be in the SEC? But there are other reasons for being in conferences. However, I... I think you should constantly review who's in your league and why they're in your league. I think I just heard a story about actor Ryan Reynolds and another actor buddy who bought a team that got relegated out of that league Mm -hmm. and they're trying to rebuild. Yeah. uh, And they're making a documentary about the whole uh, process as well. I think I literally just heard about that. What's the word again? Relegation. Relegation. Okay. All right. So, anyway, that's the big story in college football right now. Obviously, stories in college football will continue to grow as we go on. Um, NIL, I sent you a little story yesterday. I showed that to my son. Wow, wow, we wow. About a high school kid out in California, I believe, who has millions of followers on YouTube for whatever reason. <laughs> Again... Folks, you're dealing with a couple of 50-year-olds here. We'd under, we don't understand, really, why teenagers get followers on YouTube. But this kid's got a ton of followers on YouTube. Yeah. And so an agent has signed him feeling like this kid could really monetize things during his high school career and make millions of dollars while still in high school. <laughs> now, I'm all for capitalism, and and I think that's great if he can do that. I also have been around sports long enough to know that coaches, to a certain extent, have to emphasize we. They have to emphasize team building. It's tough to emphasize we when a high school kid has 5 million YouTube followers and an agent and is going to be focused somewhat on me. Mm -hmm. So... That's that's the battle that goes on, and normally that doesn't happen until you get to a professional locker room. Now, with NIL, we see it's already within month a month of this legislation being passed, filtered down to the high school level, and we'll see what kinds of epic changes it has on sports. You know, uh, thinking about this kid that you sent this to me, I let my mind wander a little bit. 
let's say he goes into the NBA and here's the money that uh, Team X is going to throw at you, there could be a, a possibility where that kid could say, I've made more in my high school and college career than what you're offering me to play at the big dance. But here's the thing. The money that he would be making from NIL isn't going away. Right. Okay. So he's merely adding to that by going to the NBA. It's not as though if he goes to the NBA, it's not like some game show where if you go to the next level, you forfeit all the money that you've made already. Yes. But I'm saying as a high school kid that might not be able to wrap his head around it, I'm an $11 million kid going into the draft. We're going to offer you $8 million. Well, I've already made that over here. I mean, I wonder if there's a moment of, I want the, I want the same as what I'm already making without you. There could be that, but you always have to be careful about overplaying your hand, yeah. too. you got to have the right handler. Yeah. And, <laughs> Managing and you. Not only the right agent and everything, but the right parents. Oh, boy. To keep you humble. Yeah. And to Hopefully. Keep, yeah. Or they're like, hey, new house for us? Right. Sign the dotted line, it, son. <laughs> it, it can go south in a hurry, and that's what everybody is watching for on this. Believe wow. me, there's a segment of the audience out there, and and I can certainly understand where they're coming from, mm-hmm. that is just waiting for one of these kids making tons of money to fall flat on their face. Let's segue into NFL news, Chuck. So the NFL comes out yesterday, and they send a memo to all the teams And the wording of this memo I find very intriguing. How so? They said if games cannot be rescheduled because of a COVID outbreak among unvaccinated players, a forfeit will be declared. Well, first of all, how many unvaccinated players are there on each team? I have no idea. Secondly... How would you prove that a COVID outbreak among the team, because we all know that there are now vaccinated people who still get COVID. How would you prove that the outbreak among the team began with the unvaccinated players? What if, let's say Corey is a vaccinated player, and let's say because you're vaccinated, You go out to a party, and maybe you get COVID there, and not from your teammates. How do and then how do we know that the COVID outbreak on a team only began with the unvaccinated players? But the wording on this says, if a game can't be rescheduled because of a COVID outbreak among unvaccinated players, a forfeit will be declared. And because it's a forfeit, players on both teams lose their game checks. So this is clearly (laughs) a ploy by the NFL to try to create peer pressure among the players' union for the players who are not vaccinated yet to To get get vaccinated vaccinated because otherwise everybody loses their game check if there's a forfeit. Now... As you can imagine, the players didn't take to this well. And both the unvaccinated, people like DeAndre Hopkins, the star receiver for the Arizona Cardinals, who's like, I I have relatives who have suffered 
problems because of the vaccine. So it makes me skittish to get the vaccine. And now you're telling me that I'm going to be a bad teammate if I don't get the vaccine because I could cost not only my team, but the other team their paycheck. And he's like, I, I don't know what to do. Then you have vaccinated players like Ezekiel Elliott from the Cowboys who come out and they say, you're really kind of forcing the hand of people, and it's a big decision. And there are people like DeAndre Hopkins whose families have had problems with the vaccine, and you can understand why he might not want to get it, and they think it's kind of heavy-handed of the league. Plus, they're saying, why is it our responsibility as players to get our teammates vaccinated? So... There's a lot of a lot at play with this. We'll see as time goes on here how the players union decides to respond to this league memo if they put together an official union response to this. Now, I know colleges that's a different story. You know, there are colleges, Indiana University, I believe Notre Dame has a a vaccine mandate for their students who are coming back. Boston College had a vaccine mandate. Every player on the team but one got the vaccination. They helped the one transfer to another school. He he flat out wasn't going to get it. He wasn't going to get it. Off you go. Because of whatever beliefs he had. Right. And they said, we'll help you transfer to another school. Wow. So, believe me. We all know how complicated this is. We've been dealing with this now for a long time. And it's it's clearly a divisive issue among a lot of people. I don't know what the right answer is. I'm just reporting to you what's going on. Let's give Chuck a chance to catch his breath as we segue into baseball. Baseball. The Cubs. <laughs> I mean, you just said that. Well, honestly, Corey, I'm one of these guys. I like to watch as many Cub games as I can. They're my team. Sure. You know, you only get baseball for six months out of the year, but they've really become unwatchable. They just never seem to get the key hit. Yes, I know. I know Tuesday they had that big seven run ninth inning. Great. Since then, they can, they've reverted back to their ways. Wednesday, 1 of 14 with runners in scoring position. Oh, wow. And then last night, they lose to the Cardinals 3-2. Adbert Alzale, six innings of three-run ball. He deserved a better fate. And yet, the Cub bats continue to flounder. Rizzo, next, next great hit he gets will be his first. Chris Bryant hitting under 200 since June 1st. Javi Baez actually drew a walk in the ninth inning last night in a key at bat, but typically if it bends, he's not hitting it. They're just, they are in a season-long hitting funk, and honestly, that's pretty much been the case since 2016. We've seen the Cubs go through hitting coaches with a revolving door. And it doesn't seem to make any difference, which at some point then you have to say, maybe it's not the hitting coaches, 
maybe it's the players. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, we've got, what, today is the 23rd, so we've got another week until the trade deadline. Oof. But honestly, the way some of these guys are playing right now, who's going to trade for them? Right. Now, there was a trade in the majors last night. Minnesota sent the slugger Nelson Cruz to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay obviously trying to make a push. They believe they can win a World Series this year. They got to the series last year. Uh, but as far as the Cub bats, I, I don't know who's going to go out and actively look to get these guys. The White Sox were idle last night, but they continue to be cruising along in the American League Central. Yeah, they lost the other night 7-2 to Minnesota, but they've still got this massive lead over Cleveland, the AL Central, and they show no signs of losing that. But again, as we've done on this show now for the last few weeks, here come the Detroit Tigers. Again, please get this clear. I am not saying the Tigers are winning anything 2021. I don't even think they're winning anything 2022. But they have won seven in a row. They seem to have solved their pitching and bullpen problems. Yes, Terry McFadden, I understand that the Tiger bullpen can be an incendiary device at any point. <laughs> but they're playing well, and they've got some nice young talent. This kid, Eric Haas, the catcher, hit another three-run homer yesterday to put him on top. Granted, they've been playing Texas. They're going to play some better teams somewhere along the way. But for the Tigers to be the hottest team in Major League Baseball right now, to have won seven in a row, to be within spitting distance of the 500 mark, what a job A.J. Hinch has done with that team, especially after their struggles early in the year when it looked like they could easily fall apart. And the South Bend Cubs got a win yesterday, 6-4 at Wisconsin. And I believe Rowan Wick, the Cub Major League reliever, will throw another inning or two tonight, and then that might be his last stint with the South Bend Cubs before coming up to the big league team. Okay. One hit wonders? You ready to rock and roll with this thing? So we are in the midst of the semifinals right now. Yesterday in one semifinal, Come On Eileen defeated Corey's sweetheart of a song, Don't You Forget About Me. <laughs> So come on, Eileen will be in Saturday's finals. And right now it looks like they're probably facing Ice Ice Baby, which is dancing all over the Macarena. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that, yeah, that feels so right. So Dexy's Midnight Runners versus Vanilla Ice in tomorrow's finals looks like the matchup unless things dramatically change here in the next, uh, I don't know, 18 hours. Okay. Overrated, underrated. I'm looking forward to this. You got a couple of great names here, and I'm going to throw out a Twitter um, a question. You want to do the Twitter one now? We can do that. Sure. Actor Richard Dreyfus, oh. underrated or overrated? Richard Dreyfus. He has had some huge hits. Mm -hmm. Jaws. And some stinkers. Mr. Holland's Opus. Yeah. Some stinkers as well. I liked Stakeout. And I liked What About Bob a lot with Bill Murray. What About Bob, I, I thought Dreyfus showed his comedic chops somewhat, even though he was clearly in the straight man's role. Mm -hmm. That's not always the easiest thing to pull off. However, I'm going to go down the middle. Richard, let's not confuse ourselves. Richard Dreyfus is not an A-list actor in Hollywood. I think maybe at a time... 
for a brief time. Yeah, there was, was a brief window, but I mean, yeah. Mr. Holland's opus was probably the opus of his career. He got on the board with Jaws, but he nobody really goes to a movie because Richard Dreyfus is in it. No. And even with Mr. Holland's opus, it was more the writing of the movie than the acting necessarily. I'll say down the middle. I'll say slightly overrated. Okay. I think you can certainly make the case for that. Let's put a female in the middle here. Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper. Overrated. I would agree. She had she had one album that did really well, and it was the debut album. I actually met the guy that signed her to her label. And it was uh it's that eighties flashy it was more music video than it was music. Right. And well, and I think a lot of it was her connection to wrestling at the time so the wrestling fans <laughs> managed to help buoy her career for a while but mm-hmm. there there's it's like gertrude stein once said of oakland there's no there there time there. after time and true colors number one songs girls just want to have fun was never a number one song which is hard to believe because that's it's probably kind of the, juggernaut the one the- she's known best for mm-hmm. but like you said one album and thanks for playing yeah Dan Aykroyd. Wow. thought about this one this morning, and that's why I brought it to it's the table. It's a good table. one. It's a real good one, Chuck Freebie. Long career, so I give points for that. I think he has shown, I thought he showed in Driving Miss Daisy that he could be a little bit of a dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. But when you get down to it, ever since Blues Brothers, Dan Aykroyd has pretty much played the same character in every movie. It's kind of the same criticism that I gave to Tom Cruise on this show. There's not a whole lot of variety. I think he was amazing on SNL when you go way back. I don't know how long he was on there, but I think that's huge. Yeah, Ghostbusters wouldn't be Ghostbusters without him. I'll say that because of being a writer and his character. Trading places. Blues Brothers wouldn't be Blues Brothers no, without, without absolutely. him. Uh, I loved him in Gross Point Blank. Do you remember that movie? He's kind I, of an assassin. Yeah. And he wants John Cusack to come on board his team. There's a little random, not too many people saw it, called Sneakers with Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. I loved him in that movie as well. His nickname was Mother. Uh, 1941. Loved that movie when I really? was younger. Yeah. HBO played it to death. So I okay. it was one of those ones where I kept seeing Because I was going to say, nobody saw that movie in the <laughs> nobody theater. Nobody saw it. It's an amazing album cover, by the way. I have to show it to you sometime. I'm going to go slightly underrated. If you haven't gone back and viewed the stuff, the SNL stuff, it had to start somewhere. I think he's a big part of that. Boy. But he's had quite the up and down hits and misses, more misses than hits. Um, But, man, Ghostbusters, Blues Brothers. SNL, those are huge. Yeah, they're huge. Trading places, the great outdoors. All right. The the House of Blues franchise. I will join you in slightly underrated. Um, And like I said, I thought he was somewhat underrated in in Driving Miss Daisy Mm -hmm. as as the son of Daisy who's trying to you know, strike the balance between God, I got to do this career and everything and taking care of his mom. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll go slightly underrated. Come on.
on board, Chuck. It won't hurt. <laughs> we'll put our seatbelts on. Now, you're heading out on a little vacation, so we're taking one from the show here for about a week, correct? Yes. We'll do uh, We'll do that big one-hit wonder tomorrow morning, Saturday morning. And then we will come back, and our next show will be in the month of August. Wow. How about that? That went by real quick. Yeah. All right. You're That's, on Twitter, right? I am at 46 Sports. You can see that high school football schedule there, too. Also, Sports Yak with two Ks for the one-hit wonder. Oh, the Grand Poobah finale. It's coming up. We've got fanfare, parades expected. It's... I wonder if uh, if the bands or, or the artists uh, would rally their fans to try to win. <laughs> Or if they would see it as a badge of dishonor. You know, we already heard from that one Vanilla Ice fan who was trying to convince us that Mm -hmm. he wasn't a one-hit wonder. You know, I heard from Smash Mouth once, and they said, not much to see here on my Twitter account. Yes, they did. I, uh... And then you banned them. You blocked them. You <laughs> no. I elevated it. I love that quote. Oh, okay. Until next time, Yak fans. Oogalooga Boog Powell. Not Boog Shambi, although you made a cameo on your ones. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sport Check. Sport Check. Sport Check is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.